A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Dubai, oh, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bloody good quiz of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamflet and Sidgwick to review AEW Dynamite in sort of bizarro world, I think it's fair to say. Um, but after a rough few weeks for this show, it felt like they mostly got on back on track last night. What do you reckon, Sid? Yeah, I thought this is mostly a stunning return to form. No match that will trouble TV match of the air lists, but the action was broadly very, very good indeed. I... Angles were great, promos were great. I got the package that I asked for from this television program. I want to be in a good mood throughout this, and I feel like it's one of those that I'm going to love it the more that we discuss it. I need to get something off my chest. I've tweeted it already. I tweeted through it. I saw this, yeah. The mega fans will forgive me. This company had the opportunity to light up every single corner of that venue and say, look how many more people are here compared to that dismal, dismal Monday Night Raw, right? And they lit it like heroes of wrestling. <laughs> what are they thinking? Like, I... Happened to Arthur Ashe as well, that. Happened to Arthur Ashe. Like, oh, Arthur, Arthur Ashe. There was something that was disappointing, but you could still feel to a degree the scale of Couldn't it. see how fucking high those up. Yeah, but it was still, you know, a weird choice. They didn't do enough, like, shots, basically, of the whole scope of it all. This was even, like, worse... This could have been, and that's what I used to like about AEW Dynamite, and sadly, I think this is one of the reasons why they've stopped doing it. This is total speculation on my part. You could tell which arena they were in so often in the first set of episodes in 2019. You could tell, oh, these look like the B-level venues from the city that they've chosen to gone to, but they're all rammed, they're all raucous, and they've all got a personality, mm. and it's nice. I think now it's a, it's either a strategic aim on their part to make it all look weirdly but amorphously big, or TNT has said it needs to look a little bit more like WWE. If there's any channel hoppers, they need to look at this show and think, oh, it doesn't look too much different to the, the more successful one. Maybe I'll give this a try. I hate, uh, not that take specifically, I hate how that works. It's I just speculation. That, I hate that that's a, but I think you're probably right, because we've had this sort of discussion before about like trying to understand the mindset, you know, when like people talk like in, in America, not over here, I don't think about something moving channels or something moving time slot by 25 minutes or something like that. It's like, 
if you're going to tune in for the show you want to watch, you just cannot show. But like, it's amazing at stuff like that. Like, you know, they might see that and realize it's wrestling as if the giant ring and the wrestlers wrestling it. It's, <laughs> but they think like that. And yeah. I, like, I hate that that's always been these, th- we've had to debate these things on these terms. It's, I, it's nonsense. The reason why I think it's a TNT directive to make it look a little bit like WWE at first glance. Oh, that looks like what WWE do with their shows. Oh, this must be a competitor. They're all total Nitro nerds. They've attempted <laughs> yes. to reboot WCW Nitro under a different name. WCW Nitro was this brightly lit like vista of fans all going absolutely ballistic, and that's what Dynamite was for the first four or five months. I tweeted a picture of the closing shot of the inner circle forming at the very end of the first Dynamite, and it's just like colours, brightness, vivid, alive, and I could see, what, the first five rows tonight? Mm-hmm. And I just thought, why light, uh, light it up like a NXT TakeOver? You're meant to be the alternative. And it just makes me a little bit sad that it looks like that now. Mm. Good that your, your only major complaint about this show is that, but it's still I think it's a valid point that needs addressing, not just for this show, but for, for AW generally. Yeah. Do you know what I think is so specifically relevant to this review about that point as well? Because um, it isn't something I notice all the time but I hadn't made the connection with the arenas. And now you mentioned that. Like, I was thinking with Arthur Ashe because I'd seen how tall it was. And yeah. I was like, show him. Like, light him up, up right in that top corner. You know, those, you always imagine that that corner shot from the Pontiac Silverdome. Yes. The cheapest seat in the house, looking down on this tiny 20 by 20 ring. And you're like, I, I'd still wish I was in that yeah. seat. Like, I, that's what I wanted to see from Arthur Ashe. And I never thought about it because of the, it was the, this battle along Island, wasn't it? But specifically this episode, what AEW are brilliant at doing is making these experiences feel unique, and here's your segue, into like wh- who the hometown wrestlers are, who the sort of, what you're going to get that no crowd in America will get beyond this one right here. So they're so great at that, and they understand the drawing power, the, like, the ticket selling ability of scenes like what we got throughout this episode, and of all the nights to not be able to take advantage of that and show these fans having the great time that you can hear them having. It seems wasteful if it's not a directive. I should point out as well that it's an old, old school thing to light a wrestling show like that. Steve Austin's a massive proponent of mm. lights on the ring, don't see the fans, but I just want to see them have fun. It, they're an asset, and it looks great. Infectious, I'd say. Yes, absolutely. I didn't feel... I can, in a good way, you feel the energy it. when you can't <laughs> see it. It's, I know that um, lots of neon splashes has been slightly bastardized by 2.0, but when I picture those early dynamites and those, as you sort of described it there, like, was it the end of the first one you mentioned? Yes. There's that panning shot across all the inner circle, isn't there? Yes. Like, the modern buildings that have got the um, the animated rims in between the yes. seats now, all of that was with the dynamite iconography, which at the time was just, like, splashes of paint, wasn't it? So that was, like, rainbow-coloured, effectively. Yeah. So you had rainbows, like, sort of rotating around the building against whatever you watched in the ring. It was an entirely different mainstream wrestling aesthetic to yeah. the... All red, all blue, like black and gold. Those were like defined very clearly. That was that seemed a response at the time. It did, and, and that's, that's what I loved that, about all it. All that's gone away now, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I mean, the dynamite branding just shifted to like boxes, and you know, yeah. which is fine. But yeah, when I think of it, I think of all of that as a collective. Just makes me feel sad. Mm. Oh well, let's talk about this show then. Uh, it started with a twenty-minute opening promo. No, it started. <laughs> it started with hometown hero MJF coming out. Except, psych, no, it's not. Before I even talk about what he said, Sige, I know you're going to want to talk about this. CM Punk came out to MJF's music. Absolutely incredible. I popped so hard for this. So much harder than I think I've ever popped for the fake out. Because, in a takes a metafictional understanding, but that's just an extra layer of how great this was. If you're 
if you've never read an interview with CM Punk doing the rounds in your life, you can still get, oh, that's great, he's faking out the hometown audience for heat. That in itself, it's always a reliable pop generator. But just CM Punk's thing here was, I'm going to be a dick and I'm going to out-dick MJF, which is a fantastic thing to do, especially in Long Island. Just the idea that he's been saying in the media, I had initially the flicker of an idea that oh, maybe MJF could interrupt the first dance. And then I thought, if everybody else is having this idea, how good an idea can it be? And he just thought, ah, it's not that great an idea. It's just, as a pro wrestler, you think heat's your first instinct. But I thought, it's not, it's a bad idea. And then the mother does it himself. Like, months later. Genius. Great. We said this before. Um, there's nothing I love more than sitting down with you guys to preview a Dynamite and thinking we've come up with six really fun things that might happen on the show. And then especially when it happens within the first five seconds, one idea that's better than all of them that you never would have thought <laughs> of in a million years because they just let that idea, that, as Cedric pointed out, and I guess Punk must have said it as well, that everybody pitched a, a version of that, the music fake out, whatever. Like, nothing goes away. It just slides in the back pocket for a rainy day. And this was that perfect rainy day. Magic. Just such a good use of this. Got a hell of a reaction as well when it was revealed to be Punk uh, and not Max or Jacob Friedman. Uh, it gets booed. Uh, well, a divisive reaction. Some people were still quite happy to see CM Punk, but for the most part, he's getting booed. Uh, so he gets on the mic and says, is that all you've got? Ah, oh, now i figured out why the Islanders have yet to win a game in this building. Is that an ice hockey thing, I assume? Yes. I know he's an ice hockey fan. They, can't, they haven't won all season. I think they I might think. have just snapped it just before this just. show. Is that the one they, where they beat the, hang on, I'm not going to do a, an Andy Murray bit here, Ottawa Senators? Probably. No idea. Uh, <laughs> This is, I don't know what it's like, I suppose I was talking about cricket for American fans. They're just like, oh, no <laughs> idea. Uh, but anyway, um, he says, uh, you fans, you don't disappoint, unlike your guy MJF. He says, it's getting hot in here. He unzips his hoodie to reveal his uh, AW Four Pillars t-shirt. But this one includes Britt Baker. Um, he says, look, I can respect Britt Baker without trying to get in her pants. Um but yeah, MJF's here talking last week about how he's better than Piper in Portland. He's not even better than Piper in Hell Comes to Frogtown. Have you ever seen Hell Comes to Frogtown? I've not, I've not never watched it all the way through, but I know of it. It is phenomenally awful. <laughs> so terrible. I've got such a huge affinity with 1980s pop culture and pop culture cinema. It just takes me in a nostalgic glow vibe back to when I was young and all the rest of it. And I just, it's never gone away. Probably should have went away. But I, just, I just feel something for it deep down. And maybe it's an indictment that I do. <laughs> but Hell Comes to Frogtown, 80s film starring wrestler. And it's totally rubbish. It's just crap. Yeah. I, I've, I've never been much of a Piper guy, right? But one of the few things about Piper was that, hey, you know, for a wrestler, this guy's not a bad actor. I always kind of disagreed with that. But if, is if nothing else, Hell Comes to Frogtown is a tremendous advertisement for good filmmaking because, like, Piper looked like an Oscar winner in They Live. A great yeah. film with a great performance that was ultimately a great role, great script, with a great direction. And then you see Hell Comes to Frogtown. is like, there's a wrestler pissing about in a piece of garbage. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is, it's lousy. It's, I don't know, would it even qualify for, like, a bad movie night now? Or are there better bad movies? I think even that would be a dated thing. You it's, wouldn't waste your time on it, would you? Time's a premium now. Like. It's not even so bad it's good. No, just bad. It should be. Yeah. It's Roddy Piper having kind of a feud with frog mutants. <laughs> there's some six. There's loads of six. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's rubbish. 
I think we've just given NXT a new character idea. Good. Uh, <laughs> right, more um, ice hockey references. And again, he references uh, be, them being the Ottawa Senators, he says, which is a bit like me being QT Marshall. Uh, and then he references... <laughs> really, really great. <laughs> he references uh, hating Dennis Rodman as a kid because he played for the Detroit Pistons. I've just started watching a really good documentary on uh, Netflix called The Last Dance. So I'd recommend that. Genuinely, I'm, I'm so late to this part. Oh, you've never actually seen it? I've watched like... It is phenomenal. I've watched like three episodes and gone, it's pretty good, this guy. It's awesome. <laughs> it's good, yeah, yeah. Like you coming in one day, it's like a bit of a hidden gem for you. Little thing called Tiger King. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to derail this because I wish I'd asked this before we came in because I hate like the idea of any of us putting each other on the spot for this. I loved this Rodman analogy. Like, love Yes, it, it was related awesome. to it. Who, Newcastle, Chesterfield, Sunderland, who was your guy's worm? Because mine Ooh. was Lord Bentner himself. Yes. Like, absolute arsehole. You had Clattermall? Well, yeah, but like, <laughs> we... <laughs> I've never heard him called that before. That's great. He doesn't qualify because we were so bad that he became quite good. Yeah. Like, so we had him for so long that he's sort of like, we kind of need him. Nicholas Bentner, fundamentally useless. Generally despised by everybody because of all his despicable traits. But... Like, unbelievable, we were always in the clinch. We were always under pressure because we were always bad. And you couldn't wish for anybody that couldn't have cared less. Like, he was perfect for these pressure fixtures because you needed goals from a guy that didn't like you, didn't like the game he was playing, couldn't believe that he was gifted with this skill, and he would just turn up and score these goals effortlessly. Like, pressure didn't exist to such mm. a dickhead. Loved him. Ours is too bad, so I can't put him over. Yeah, too, <laughs> too bad. Mine's equally as terrible. Uh... So I'm not going to say his name. Not even going to dignify it with with a comment. But I'll tell you afterwards. But it's it's you not didn't even, like him either. No, no, exactly. He was he was someone who was an awful human being. Oh, one of them. Signed for us. I thought he was meant a bad footballer. No, signed for us and scored some goals. But I, I feel like I feel like some people kind of excused it way too quickly. What he'd been doing outside of the football pitch. It's so too, too tribal football, isn't it? Yeah, too tribal. <laughs> Far too tribal. But, uh, <laughs> We're going to Chelsea, so I couldn't give a toss right now. <laughs> Get in. Uh, right. Uh, so what are we talking about? Yes, uh, there's the basketball references when Rodman, obviously, I've got, I've, I've watched that one. So I was like, I understand this reference. Uh, he played for the Detroit Pistons, then obviously he came to the Bulls and he was... He and was, he joined the NWO and Punk was a massive <laughs> He was Punk's Rodman, um, just like MJF is Long Island's guy, uh, just because basically they're stuck with him. Uh, and he talks about the, the world title match, a winner is coming next week and says, he wants next. Uh, no doubt, though, that MJF uh, is looking at the same thing. Uh, it's going to be one of them going after the title. It probably looks like two people arguing and no one knows who the big idiot is unless you're from Chicago. Um, he says this is between the two of them. Uh, MJF, of course, brought brought up Punk's dog, Larry, uh, and Punk responds by saying he's neutered, but he's still got more balls than MJF. He gets it, though. MJF is the kind of guy this town would have since the Islanders. Haven't won anything since 1984. Um if, if he wants MJF to fight like they do in Chicago, but if MJF is the guy in Long Island, then they're all chicken shh. Big reaction to that. Um, and it's just, I couldn't get over the reaction for, for CM Punk to this. It was surreal, wasn't it? It was surreal. Maybe a tiny bit more mixed than was ideal, given the story, the like location-specific story that we're trying to tell. But it worked. Just enough, I thought, in terms of the audience dynamic. No it, point trying to pander to them either. Oh, no, not like that. Not like that. They took them on the journey as well, Punk and MGF, like brilliantly so, I might add, across the first, what, 30, 35 minutes of this TV show. It was an absolute joy to see CM Punk riff. Hmm. A lot of wrestlers will lie to you and say, oh, yeah, just go with the flow, man. That's worth the crowd, you know. They have it in their head. It's, it's fine for a wrestler to write their own scripts rather than have some dickweed 
<laughs> write them for Eat them. Old dick. But they script their promos like, way more than they would care to admit. I don't think CM Punk scripted much of this because he was uh, he was repeating some of his points. I didn't care because he was just delivering them. You so was hitting a nerve with the ice hockey stuff. Yes, yeah, so he kept boom. boom. All right, so I'm gonna take that thread and just rip it and rip it and rip it and rip it. So that was fantastic. Yeah, you could see him riffing. Um, he's cut better promos, but he doesn't look like he's ever had as much fun mm-hmm. cutting a promo. And again, like this guy is going to be the best heel in pro wrestling in about 2023 at the latest because it's what he's the best at. He was on incredible form here. You can tell he adores being it. And legitimately, there's been enough murmurs of, and I don't agree with this at all, but there's been enough murmurs of people going, oh, is it the same CM Punk? Or do we just want to return heel already? That it's going to happen and it's going to be incredible. It just made me hope that he's feeding with Pac by the time AEW comes to Newcastle. Yes. I want to be there in person for this specific promo. Um, I loved it. The the grin on his face. As long as they don't bugger it up by, like they did when they're like, here's Jermaine Defoe, uh, Sunderland striker. There was, like, there was no buggering up going on there. WWE despises its core audience. And I was in that crowd having the time of my life that I couldn't show because I didn't want to get decked. But it was un- <laughs> unbelievable choice. But by some little eight-year-old kid in a John Cena t-shirt. <laughs> stick the nut on him. My favourite is, though, is, is when... when they try and do this, and this isn't about AW or WWE, but Americans obviously they, you, are, my or a sixty-five-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> my mind is—it's well, one of the—it's the kid or the granddad. <laughs> my mind is like cast back to to Elias and Kevin Owens when they made that one comment about the local basketball team. I think it was it was like eight minutes. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, because we're the British are inherently sort of grumpy. If someone came along to Newcastle or Sunderland or Chesterfield and went. Your football team's crap. We'd probably go, yeah, good point. Good point. <laughs> no one's going to go, oh, we shouldn't say that. I was like the misreads as well. When they would go to uh, to Manchester and they didn't realise about the City United divides, they just hoist some baby face in the Man United shirt and wonder why they were getting booed. I love yeah, that stuff. You all like Manchester. It doesn't matter if you're red or blue. Yeah, it does. It's kind of the most important part. And he came out of a black cab. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. more do you Brits want? Hey, uh, where's the nearest phone box? Uh, <laughs> on goddamn, it's on the goddamn stage. <laughs> Uh, first one I saw in 20 years <laughs> going to a WWE TV taping no like just aye, magic what I was going to say was sorry one last thing on this like you knew how much fun this was going to be when even when Punk surprised himself with how much he enjoyed oh, that like, yeah. the, the first laugh off man Chicago was so much louder <laughs> he just like his open mouth glee when was, even that hit oh my god like yeah, he was sort of tapping his own vein wasn't he just like you have to get there I was just a final point on this. Uh, you talk about you know them coming here or then going to Manchester or Liverpool. I remember going to see a WWE live show in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Birmingham doesn't have two football teams; it's got about four. Yeah, <laughs> West Midlands just generally you've got Aston Villa and Birmingham, which I suppose are the two you know big rivalries in city. But then you've also got West Brom and Wolverhampton Wanderers, Coventry and Coventry. So you've just got this sprawling mess, and then just they—it's like you can't appeal because it's just too, there's too much of a mix mm. here. It's great to be here in Coventry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right then, we got a sensational video package. MJF pulling up in a—I think it was a Ferrari. He's on the the school football field. He's got this epic voiceover uh, talking about his accomplishments, uh, his football accomplishments, sporting accomplishments. It's acapella accomplishments, uh, getting chicks. He's uh, pulling as well. That was great. I don't know he's pulling in America. Keg standing. Um, pulling lasses. <laughs> he might not be everyone's cup of tea, but he's salt of the earth and he's better than you and you know it. He's going to be the people, baby face of Newcastle. <laughs> people were just so excited at this point, weren't they? Uh, and I need to put this over. It's an incredible piece of work. 
just amazing. The voiceover. Yeah. Because they rarely do these big cinematic entrances, like the one with the Dark Order ahead mm. of the Elite match. Like, these are always incredible, and they're great for how, like, rarely they are, they're done. What I love about this, it's such a specific kind of I'm better than you heel bit because he's doing the iconography of high school hero and everything. The you, jacket on. Everything you try and tell yourself when you're not the popular kid at school is, uh, well, he's peaked too early and he's going to have a sad little life for living his old glories <laughs> in his football jacket. He didn't get the grade, so he's not going to get the job. No, no, he's one of the biggest stars in wrestling right now. <laughs> he's just going to take a dump in our faces and rub that uh, shit in. Look, I'm, I'm consistent as well. Always critical of it when it would happen. Want to praise it now they've got it right. Fancy cars are for our souls. Yes. And thank God AEW has finally yes. acknowledged that because that's, there's the tell. It's like he's driven some Porsche or something in the middle of a football pitch. Yeah. Like a Ferrari or whatever. It's like, what a dick move. Like, they know that he's a heel and, like, finally they've got that one right because Sue's car wasn't flashy later on, was it? Like, they <laughs> figured that out. Uh, right, then we got the uh, Dynamite Diamond Battle Royale uh, competing, of course, to see the final two who will fight a winner's coming for the beautiful diamond ring. Uh, participants, MJF, of course, who got a crazy reaction. And it's so, again, surreal seeing him doing that, like leaning into the front row of people who are like, yeah, this fucking guy's the best. I need to put this over one more time because this first 30 minutes was fantastic. The reason why it was so surreal is because MGF is incredible at his craft. This felt like one of the most insane things I've watched on AEW television. Like, this no, this isn't real sort of thing. It is, mm. in fact, surreal. Um, that's just a testament to how he gets a really toxic reaction everywhere else that he goes. He measured his facial uh, reactions when he did the, when he mocked Punk with the knee. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's like, I remember thinking, like, please don't cry. This needs to feel just real, but also that you still kind of resent everybody in the building. And I just thought he got that so right. Quite but, smug as well when he was leaning against the barrier. Fantastic. Like, the little details. And like, you, you're, honestly, MJF's so good, you don't know how much of this is a choice or just his instincts are that incredible. Maybe it's both. Um, I was thinking this on this show and during the Derby Island match, I don't want it to come for a long time, but it's going to be so awesome when he's an actual baby face. Like, however much money you can make as a heel, he might be able to double it as a, as a baby face because this is the way that, this is the way that like, Babyfaces used to get over is by being like just the best at being a heel. That there's no choice but to eventually mm -hmm. turn. It's brilliant, man. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, right, let's get to this battle royal then. So MJF's in it, of course, as is Wardlow. You've got the likes of Matt Hardy, Frankie Kazarian, Jay Lethal, Powerhouse Hobbs, Dante Martin, Leo Rush, Ricky Starks, Lee Moriarty, Matt Seidel, and Lee Johnson. Apologies if I've missed anyone off there, and I'm probably going to miss some eliminations in this recap. But regardless, uh, early on, Wardlow, Beast City is is. is protecting MJF and eliminating people left, right, and centre. He gets rid of Moriarty. Uh, in the midst of all that, Jay Lethal gets his hands on MJF, and it, the, the crowd, no, no, no! It, it, it pulls, thankfully, saves MJF from that elimination. Um, in amongst all this, the bunnies pass some brass knocks to Hardy, who twats Lethal with them and then eliminates him. Uh, but as Hardy's you know, pointing and gesticulating and celebrating that, Dante Martin immediately eliminates Hardy as well. Uh, we get a face-off between Dante Martin and Leo Rush, but they get taken down by Wardlow and Powerhouse Hobbs, and we get the power battle between these two. Back and forth, Wardlow nearly eliminates Hobbs, but he stays in until a front flip kick from Leo Rush sends him to the outside. A shout-out, I haven't written anything down what he said. Shout-out to Taz on commentary throughout this, who was just... Slightly biased, I think it's fair to say, but you know he'd been bigging this up and talked about the numbers, numbers advantage, and his is well, I was going to say numbers dwindled as one of the team got eliminated. He sort of went, "Oh, that's 
crap, but also, yeah, it's kind of all right because we've got two more guys in there. So <laughs> um, we go to a break, I think, at that point. Then when we come back, uh, the remaining competitors sort of go after Wardlow and MJF. Uh, Rush and Johnson try to eliminate Wardlow, uh, but MJF just lifts all three of them out of the ring. And celebrates to a huge bap. Uh, Kazarian tries to eliminate him, but MJF bridges the ropes. Kazarian goes to the outside. So we're left to the final three. They are MJF, Dante Martin, and Ricky Starks. And Taz could not be happier. They've got the numbers advantage. Let's just chuck out MJF and settle it between these two members of Team Taz next week. Psych! Dante Martin immediately turns on Ricky Starks and eliminates him. It will be MJF versus Dante Martin next week for that beautiful diamond ring. And I just wish one of us had probably called this on the preview. It would have been really nice if someone was, you know, so good at predicting stuff that he'd literally never got anything wrong and... (laughs) said on the podcast yesterday, I think it's going to be Dante Martin and MJF. And all the storylines are going to converge together and what have you. Oh, well, um, post-match, uh, <laughs> MJF does the, the whole heel, come on, let's do a handshake, let's be disrespectful. And he does. He shakes uh, Dante Martin's hand and raises it and leaves to allow Ricky Starks to come in and kick the crap out of him. And MJF's walking up the ramp and he teases, he looks back and thinks, oh, should I? And he's he's he's... Sort of bartering with the the audience at this. Should I get him? Should I go? But I, I do need to save myself for next week. And it's, uh, goes a bit further. Around. Ah, bollocks! I'll come down. Runs down to again a huge bap to to seemingly make the save. Gets a face off between him and Ricky Starks. There's a match I hadn't thought about because of the heel dynamic. But oh my god, I want to see that one as well now. He uh, faces off with Ricky Starks, and you think, what a hero, what a savior. And then they both just start stamping on Dante <laughs> Martin. In comes CM Punk to make the save. MJF bails. Uh, and Dante Martin hits Starks with an Inseguri who goes into the GTS uh, to, to allow them to stand tall to, to end the segment. Really enjoyed this, Sige. Yeah. Uh, I was expecting a little bit more content-wise in the match. They're usually better at seamlessly telling stories and doing like some really crazy, especially when Dante was in there. And Leo, I was expecting a bit more of a match. It was more a succession of um, dovetailing angles. And this, in fact, was very deft, oh. um, particularly in the post-match, but throughout as well. Uh, the Wardlow hop stuff ruled, give me that match. This is just basically, um, it generated as many match graphics as eliminations. Mm. Hobbs versus Wardlow. And in the post-match, on Punk versus Starks, that could be happening again. And they remind you the fact that it could happen while at the same time advancing two storylines, MGF versus Punk and the Diamond Ring stuff. The Wardlow-MGF interactions were great, funny. It was just <laughs> excellently pitched, but without the... Um, it wasn't as good as last year's because that was a proper great action match mm. in between the set pieces. Um, but this got more of a reaction, obviously. It was not held in Daly's place in front of Austin Gunn. <laughs> Yeah, all of this was fabulous. MJF was great throughout. Just, you knew for a fact he was, whole, he was bullshitting the whole way through, but you still wanted to see him do it. And I say that's the beauty of Dynamite. You kind of know where it's going, but it's the it gives you the desire to want to reach the conclusion of angles, long-term storylines, whatever. And shout out to Sean Spears as well. I forgot to mention, he was uh, helping MJF whilst on the outside too. Uh, what did you make of it all, Hamlet? Yeah, I really liked it. Almost all of the headline takeaways from this were just really nicely engineered. Um, the So stuff like MJF and Wardlow, it's really difficult to come up with a spot 
that doesn't make their inevitable explosion for the now. And that was the one. You know, like the it's there's a Sean Diesel comparison I immediately thought of. There's definitely going to be others where you do something that feels more like a that can be paid off in six months because if it was too violent, it's going to be six days, isn't it? You know, you've got to like you've got to like measure that really well. And I thought they nailed that. I'd be slightly more critical if I'm honest of like Dante Martin Team Taz brackets general. Like it sort of plays to this strange schizophrenic quality AW's bookings got where they deem something's worthy of months of work and then some apparently two. I was barely invested in this to begin with before it's now been taken away and we're kind of back to where we were two weeks ago. I'd have to I'd have to call that, broadly speaking, a failure for how excited I was when he surprised us all and signed the contract. Um, I was having a chat with Murray this morning and we disagreed because he thinks that like the longer you do like mole stuff, it does make idiots of the people that are being conned. But I just, I barely felt like we had time to really invest in this and it was like, oh, by the way, I was just like BSing you, you know, and I'm out of Team Taz now. So, I didn't love that payoff, but I did like where we got to with the outcome. So, like, all the stuff with the match itself. Just inspired, by the way, credit to AEW, for they have this concept, which isn't the easiest to pull off, a battle royal that doesn't have a winner. Yeah, I've always thought this. Inspired choice to put it on this show, because this is the exact amount of prestige you want to give MJF, when next week you need the dynamics to be heel and babyface again. If you have the match on the same evening... MJF's getting cheered against a guy that's like flying out of 100 foot in the air. It, it doesn't work. So I thought like, what a great, they've thought this through to put this match on this show to make that work at like at its maximum efficiency. So I love that. Punk as well didn't betray his like situational circumstances, his big line that he went back to in the promo and then was doing it when he chased MJF off was, this is your guy. This is He didn't stop and like pander that much to the crowd. It was still this is your guy. Almost <laughs> putting it back on them. Yeah. Say, we're going to apologise to me yet now, you know, like, which is exactly the sort of thing a punk would do. So yeah, ultimately, all the big stuff was really, really well handled and the vibe was established and I think that's what's been, one of the things that's been missing for me, like one of them intangibles that AW, good AW shows has, was like really well established after the first half an hour. You had a feeling that nothing could have derailed this dynamite after this. Some bad news. Given their interaction very early in the Battle Royale, Matt Hardy and Jay Lethal are going to feud for six months. <laughs> during during which time, Matt Hardy's just going to like shout at him from ringside during Jay Lethal matches. One of which is going to be against the Blade. And then, <laughs> then, then they're going to then they're going to go fifty fifty, and then it's just going to get suddenly dropped. Yeah, I'll tell I, you, I, I can, we have that for two weeks, and they're going to do a weird stipulation match at some point. There's nothing that I don't want, but do want on principle equally as much as. The Matt Hardy versus Orange Cassidy, hair versus hair, man. <laughs> I've, I don't want to see it. I could kind of go my whole life without seeing it, but they spent months, months. Jack, Jack Evans, his hair cut for now. Mm-hmm. What a waste of time. <laughs> Can I just say as well, because I don't know if we'll capture it, because we might get derailed. Taz being pissed off for the next 30 minutes of his life <laughs> yeah. on commentary was so great and so Taz. And Such a great thing to happen. Am I right in thinking that Prior to the Battle Royal, the big announcement that we got for Rampage, that wasn't happening, was it? Was it? Uh, it's, uh, what I got from him, tell me if I'm wrong here, is he went, right, that's it, I'm, I'm pulling out the ace. I'm, uh, you know, it, I, I, if in my head... It's better so, that way. Going mm. into Dynamite, he didn't... He, Hook wasn't going to wrestle, and he went, 
You bastard. Right, well, if you're going to do that, it's time to bring out the big guns. Let's get Hooky's first match. Is that right? Or I've just completely made that up in my head? I think that's... If it's a headcanon, it's fantastic headcanon. And I seriously don't think it's an accident either. Mm. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help? a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Right, let's move on to the next match. It was the acclaimed Antupo uh, versus Jurassic Express and the Varsity Blondes. Um, I just wanted to give a quick nod to uh, the acclaimed rap and the line, Jungle Boy still can't cut a promo. We'll run your bitch ass out of town like Cuomo. I don't know why that tickled me so much. We're bigger in New York than New York. Yes. Should have got a huge pep because yeah. it was a great line, but... No one talks, oh, there's no message boards anymore, so no one talks about the Fed on New York. <laughs> or Titan. Titan, yeah. There's not enough Titan talk for my liking anymore. I want more Titan Fed stuff. Capital. Capital. Uh, Anthony Bowens starts us off uh, fighting with Jungle Boy, who fights off everyone, basically, at one point. Um, blondes come in, Pillman hits a diving drop kick. Garrison goes for this crazy dive onto everyone. Uh, they hit the uh, drop kick, sort of heart attack. That uh, gets a, a near fall. Then 2.0 because they're mint, distract the official. That allows Bowens to interfere, uh, and they isolate Brian Pillman Jr. for a large part of this match in their corner of the ring. Long old beatdown. I think it takes us to a break. Eventually, uh, Pillman finally breaks out of it. Uh, double knees, gets the Luchasaurus. He just runs wild. He choke slams Bowen onto Caster. Uh, Jungle Boy comes in with that rebound lariat of his, and then just a load of big moves from everyone. Jungle Boy sets up for the snare trap, but uh, Daniel Garcia, uh, who's at ringside, hops on the apron, distracts the official, um, and it looks like oh, the shenanigans are going to allow the heels to win. When who should run out but Eddie Kingston to to pull Garcia off the apron? Um, 
in the mix, midst of all this, Caster is set up to hit the mic drop, but he missed it. Jungle Boy puts him in the snare trap, and they get the submission victory post-match. Kingston's gone backstage, um, where he bumped into Ortiz. He's shouting a promo. I'm not sure if we were meant to hear it or not. I can hear a bloody thing. Uh, but then 2.0 and Garcia beat him down backstage, presumably set up something going forward. But your thoughts on the, the tag match, uh, Hamlet? Really quite good, surprisingly so. There is a time and a place for these matches, and it's called the potentially draggy second half of the first hour of Dynamite. They've not. It doesn't feel like it in a long time they've done one of these matches that exists more to show you the sprawling storylines, the sprawling dovetailing storylines of this big roster. And now more than ever is probably the time to do that with the roster being as big as it is because it makes everybody feel so much more involved in what's going on. We talk about, and I, I know this is like maybe more divisive take than you would think, but this idea of like, well, if they're not on Dynamite and they're not on Rampage, I, I don't need to care about it. Maybe some people would disagree with that. And it's like, no, nah, Dark is a thing too. It's on you to watch, you know, Dark and Dark Elevation. I don't care. I don't, I guess I'm one of those people. No, me, I, I don't have the time. I wish I did. If I had more time in my life, yes. I'd dedicate it to more wrestling. But, you know, we are where we are with that. But this was a nice example of stuff they used to do more of when it was imperative that they got more people over that you'd never seen before. They're not so fussed about that anymore. But a lot of the wrestlers, as a result, sometimes feel inconsequential. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of angles here. There was a lot of, like, micro and macro storytelling all happening at the same time. The match was decent, which is unusual for one that doesn't feature the Young Bucks. You know, often we and talk an about... man's complicated. Yeah, like, so the match was of a decent standard that nothing took you out of it or nothing took the crowd out of it or anything like that. Um, the one thing that did was a TV problem rather than an arena problem. I think it was a... An, production botch and a pretty glaring and jarring one because it's Kingston of all people that you're accidentally muting. I the think thing is, the thing is with Kingston, I was like, I can still get the gist. <laughs> I think, I think because it's AEW, they'll have some real fun with this. I think 2.0 on the show will uh, give the production guy or the sound guy the chew of the week for wanting to silence their attack. Yeah, they'll say, we know you're trying to censor us kicking Eddie Kingston's ass. Or, but like, or, or re-record it with them pretending to be Eddie Kingston. Well, they'll find like one like a camera with another microphone on it that catches it from a different angle and Eddie will be like, no, no, you're going to hear my words. And they'll find a way to like fold this all back in. Mistakes are always turned into positives. Like, they turn the negatives into positives pretty well. But the match itself, uh, I thought was pretty great as well. I really, really like what I see in that specific gang of heels. And when you show me certain characters that I'd never thought could actually be pretty good together, um, so much more so than, say, for example, the Hardy Family Office, yes. which we've all been critical of. It's like... Why are these a group? I saw these five, if you include Garcia, I was like, I like what I see there and I'll take some more of it. So yeah, just a really... guarantee two point how are gonna be like, should we do a rap as well, Alex? Yeah. <laughs> and as well, what they've also done is set up um the potential visual of something like, and this is just hypothetical, Jericho gets beaten down. Proud and powerful make the save for Jericho, they get beaten down, Kingston makes the save for them. Oh, it's Kingston and Jericho again. Are they friends or what? You know, they've dropped something there that is actually way more logical than the real take of Jericho thinking, oh, he's the main event guy and I will have some of that. Like, they've actually yeah. given you a narrative reason for these two to come together. So, like, a really economical and successful 15 or so minutes of Dynamite, despite a couple of flubs and the match not having, like, a lot of... Like, the result not having a lot of ramifications. My, my only concern with that, uh, and you, you might be able to allay these concerns, is... Are the acclaimed going to be able to say anything about Chris Jericho? Have they got anything to, to swing? <laughs> <laughs> Chris Jericho, right. Your skin's this got a flap. You only walk two places on a map. <laughs> <laughs> listen. No, shut up and listen. 
Jericho's got incredibly thin skin, but he's a pro, and he will allow MGF to say that his nipples are <laughs> pretty far apart. <laughs> Put it this way, they're, uh, they're further apart than his wife was to the capital. How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so you know what I mean, though? Yeah, that's a problem with this. On my thoughts of the actual segment of TV, fun, compact match that didn't feel like a really glaring, I can see the wires all over the place, spot fest. It wasn't like... It wasn't spot fest. It was just some guys got set shine and did the moves and all the rest of it. I thought Pillman Jr. took too much of it. What they see in him, I'm beginning to not see. <laughs> yeah, frankly. Is that because you got splattered in the face with toxic juice? <laughs> I think it's because I had the epiphany, right? That I'm watching, I think it was Grand Slam. And I'm thinking, why do I not like Brian Pillman Jr. in the ring that much? <laughs> and it's because, all right, he's doing like an early 90s high flyer act, much like the early days of his dad. And I'm thinking... Who's better on the show at doing early 90s style high flying? Oh, the 62 year old Sting. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, he got kicked in the face. So I feel sorry for him a bit. And it added to the drama. So that was good as well. In addition to everything you said, which I won't go over again, what I love about this is one, you advance Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus as winners because they are heading towards Lucha Brothers, which is heading itself towards Christian Cage, same way. Be a little bit of a dick to get this win, and that could lead to Jungle Boy versus Christian Cage. You obviously advanced the Eddie Kingston 2.0 Jericho stuff, all very deft. It's two for the episode mm. so far. It's a great episode. For it. I like the idea, just in the construction of this match in itself, without thinking what a function to do beyond this match, surrounding Jungle Boy with very entertaining but heel goobers, just illuminates his star mm. power all the more, and it makes you think he's not the guy he was in 2019. They've done a hell of a job. He's the star of this match. But he was always the guy who was getting his bit of shine. He's not the shining man. He's the star. Uh, promo <laughs> promo from uh, FTR and Tully Blanchard. Tully talks up all, everything that FTR's managed to accomplish uh, and Cash tries to explain away the Lucha Bros' only victory because he, was the, he wasn't legal, etc., etc. And Dak says, this Friday's tag team title match is the biggest match of their career. It's not two out of three falls now, though, is it? No. I suppose because there's a lot on this show. Maybe that's the timing problem. Odd. All of this has been so odd. I don't understand why they're not giving us a two out of three falls match. Well, yeah, the only thing I think of is they're like, well, we got... Because they want, what was it, two matches advertised for, for Rampage last week? All it, sorry, I was gonna say, all I know is the one thing I want is the Lucha Brothers to stop um, the kids getting like Christmas presents and the mortgage getting paid. That's what I want out of my baby face out of this match. It's a weird old choice, isn't it? Like that's, you know the most relatable thing that you fans can suffer? Well, that's going to be us if we lose. Are you the baddies? <laughs> and I, I, odd. It's not, it's odd. not, it's not great. Uh, it was, uh, I've got chaos written here. Chaos, best friends, whatever you want to call that hybrid now. Rocky Romero and Chuck Taylor versus the Young Bucks next. Uh, Adam Cole and Brandon Cutler obviously coming out with uh, the Bucks. And Orange Cassidy ringside for the uh, opposing team. Uh, early on, the Bucks drop kick. Chuck Taylor off the apron, uh, but Rocky, Rocky Romero looked great in this match, I thought. Did, sends Nick uh, to the outside, hits a tope suicida, uh, but Matt fights back, drop kick to the floor, and they isolate Rocky Romero in their corner, beat him down, frequent tags. Uh, eventually, Rocky escapes, gets to Chuck Taylor, he gets the hot tag, comes in, DDT, flatliner, combo thing, uh, big tope con gear over into the, onto the books. Um, double super kicks, though, as he turns around. Rocky eats a super kick as well, um, and then they do that 
rope running thing, but actually just bail to the floor to give a nice kiss to their friend Adam Cole as we go to a break. Um, when we come back, uh, there's a back and forth uh, going on in the ring, but it's more important what's going on outside because Adam Cole just levels uh, Orange Cassidy with a little pump kick. Um, in amongst all this, I don't know when this happened, Chuck Taylor's put the shades on. <laughs> he can sort of fire back. He uh, chucks Nick overhead into Matt. Uh, Rocky Romero tags in, goes to the uh, forever clotheslines, uh, hits a double Hurricane Rana, and then a step-up Hurricane Rana on Nick. Uh, and Rocky hits a sliced bread on Matt for a nice near fall. But uh, Nick nails Rocky with uh, an X-Factor, hits, gets hit with a soul food from Chuck Taylor. Uh, Matt goes for a series of, of Northern Lights suplexes, but Rocky reverses it, turns it into a DDT. Collar distracts the official. Cole tries to get involved, but Orange cuts him off. He does the, the weak strikes and the you know taunting that, that just fires Adam Cole up but gets him off his game a little bit. Nick hits him with a super kick, but then Cutler accidentally cold sprays Matt in the face. Rocky jackknifes him, but uh, Nick dives in to break up the pinfall just at the last second. Matt counters sliced bread into the, uh, the correct position for the Meltzer driver thing, but uh, Rocky gets out of it in a fantastic near fall. I completely bought the uh, backslide that he got from that. Then Matt pump handles Romero, Meltzer driver, one, two, three. We'll, we'll do the match first, Sige, and then we'll talk post-match. I'm going to paraphrase a Simpsons gag here. You ever seen the episode where Homer becomes a chef? Mm-hmm. But the idea is that he's, <laughs> he's such a fat bastard that he loves everything. And they're like, no, that's not the point, man. You're meant to like actually think about it. I'm going to give the Young Bucks their lowest rating of 2021. Three and three quarter stars. Because <laughs> this is like really, really, really good, but it just wasn't on the level of some of the best tag team matches you're ever going to see. Um, there were moments where I was like, oh, this feels a little bit greatest hits. I'm not mad on this. Like, I've been just wall-to-wall banter, like, heat, catharsis, entertainment value, state-of-the-art athletic excitement. You get these, a wonderful concoction of the Young Bucks match of 2021. It wasn't quite as intoxicating as that, but as you said, Wilborn, like, that goddamn near fall from the reversal, like, Matt and Rocky Romero, by the end of this match, were taking the piss with how well they worked together. It was absolutely just decided, we're really great at this. Let's just be the absolute best versions of ourselves for like a minute and a half of this incredible sequence. So that was awesome. Shout out to Nick Jackson as well. who's legitimately one of the, the greatest heels in the 21st century of professional wrestling. Trying to mug Orange Cassidy off, but being too much of a dickhead heel to realize he's getting dick cheese all over his hands. And he's the guy who's thinking, now oh, look at me. It's like, we got dick cheese on your hands, mate. Like, so you, you're a dick and I'm getting catharsis from you being a dick. Yeah. With you putting your hands on your balls. <laughs> I thought about that, yeah. And cack. <laughs> Nick Jackson rules. This match ruled just enough by the end is how I would put it. I was a little bit underwhelmed by this match, but that's probably a fairer assessment of it if maybe the Young Bucks expectations are what they are. I actually think there was a bit of a disconnect with how much you could feel about this versus what you were watching that only came to life at the finish, but ultimately Rocky Romero was never going to win. The result was... Mm maybe disconnected from the match, which was the Young Bucks having this mad banter Young Bucks match. It's like, oh, but we do have to win at the end. So no matter all these things that we put in place, it's kind of park all that because we're going to have to beat with the Melts driver. So like, I think those two things maybe weren't connected so well. I want to talk about Orange Cassidy because I had, I don't know if this is yet an epiphany. I'm just completely barking up the wrong tree. I've been pretty critical of the use of Orange Cassidy because I, leave it, I believe, theoretically, he is the most perfect special attraction performer you've got because... That, that is a gimmick that you potentially never get tired of until you do. 
He's not the best weekly TV wrestler because it's really easy to tire of this shtick. This is the second week in a row. They've either booked this character like in a way that they've never done before, which is completely betraying the point of it and being really thick. That's twice in a row now. He's been behind Adam Cole doing the faint kicks, which all, psycholo- all psychology is about Adam, uh, sorry, it's about Orange Cassidy lulling people into false sense of security, getting under their skin, getting into their heads, all that sort of stuff. Second week in a row, he's done that and then been attacked as a result. He's the stupid one for doing the kicks. Like, I don't think AEW would be that stupid to betray this character because they're the ones that have proven all those bad faith actors wrong all along. I think this might be them actually finally tweaking this character into a version that could be a weekly... Like, him seeing this doesn't work as well as it used to, I'm going to start... Like, he is now going to do this to kill it. Like, he's going to start abandoning a few... I'm not saying rebadge him. He's still a slacker. It's still such a big part of his aesthetic. But maybe some of that stuff goes in place of... And the other thing I saw, by the way, the black Best Friends t-shirt, he's selling the merch. He's trying. Yeah. Like, I wonder if... Try. I wonder if these... <laughs> like, Try. I just think AW, in the face of arseholes that were either too indignant or stupid to get what Orange Cassidy was, booked him to perfection. And now, why would they do this two weeks in a row unless they were attempting something much bigger? Well, it's funny you should say that. Come to me when you do the post-match. Okay. Well, so there's something to that. The post-match, yes, is the the super click and Brandon Cutler beating the, uh, the baby faces down after the match. Wheeler Uta runs down to make the save, which is immediately taken out by Adam Cole. Cole hits the Panama Sunrise on Orange Cassidy, and they set up... Uh, for the three-way BTE trigger when Best Friends music plays. And I'm thinking, wait a second. I thought all the Best Friends were in the ring. Nope. Here comes Sue, as the commentators called it, which is why I tweeted earlier on today, Sue Greylandsting. Because (laughs) I just love that call. We see the fact that we see the minivan first. Sue pulls up. And uh, she, the, the back door of the minivan opens, and out comes Trent or Trent Beretta or whatever you want to call him now. Uh, he's got a haircut. He still looks absolutely ripped. He gives his mum a lovely little peck on the cheek. Uh, fantastic to see him back after all his, his issues with sp- I don't know, spine stuff, neck stuff, whatever on earth uh, it was for him. Just really good to see him back. He comes out, spears Cutler on the ramp, takes out. Uh, Matt, uh, Matt Jackson and Adam Cole with Lariats uh, sends Nick flying with a half and half suplex um, clears the ring basically uh, and we get a lovely moment uh, Sue's in the ring celebrating they do the big got to give the people what they want hug to, to close things off um, this made me feel all warm and fuzzy to steal a phrase from another one of our colleagues but yeah you wanted to give your thoughts on this first Sige just a tiny little comment to follow up what Hamlet was saying um, if you watched Orange Cassidy's body language in the post-match, he was, like, particularly affected by, like, getting embarrassed, basically. Looking up to the ramp. Yeah. More of them, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. He was really thinking, like, ah, oh, that's kind of pissed me off, that. Mm, yeah. So, like, maybe there is going to be a character development. Like, I've, we've seen the next AEW champion in Trent, obviously. Like, guy coming back looking like Mox. Like, major, major main event energy to Trent that the best friends never, ever have. And I'm a bit, like, probably overcritical of best friends from time to time, but what they are very much is mid-card. And that's okay. Like, not every act can be main event. 
Trent's like on another level. Something about that return. And I love, by the way, the um, guys coming back from like neck stuff, spine stuff. So you throw out a spear straight away. Yeah. Just yeah. to make it abundantly clear what is like, how fixed are you? This fixed. Right there. <laughs> and it's not WWE, so the cameras don't miss it. Yes. But like, I like that was a choice. Trent's presentation was a choice. You look like uh, a killer. Yep. Like there was there was flashes of this at the very tail end of his New Japan run before obviously AW kind of not de- like didn't derail it as such, but it just parked yeah, yeah, things yeah. that they had in like you could see he'd had like this classic with Kenny that we'd just been allowed to like I plant this scene in the back of our minds that maybe there's something to Trent. This felt like the start of that, I don't know how long-term we're talking, but it just felt like a major deal to me here. Uh, honestly, here's something that I've never said on a podcast before, but I've always felt that I think Trent Beretta has got massive heel potential. Sometimes he comes off as such an aloof dickhead. <laughs> Doesn't he? Yeah, he does. On Twitter and stuff like that, like, I think he could be a killer heel character. I just really like the moment with his mum. <laughs> it's yeah. uh, some simple stuff for me sometimes, including him going, there's the hard cam. That was one of my <laughs> favourite points. We're celebrating this way, mum. Uh, oh, you know what I would love to think that she knew where the hard cam was all along, and that was just like because I do like layered bits. Yeah, well, all the all that was missing was 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 him going, "Mom, great to be back." Up you go on the shoulders, you electric chair, <laughs> <laughs> electric chair in the suit. <laughs> Something I forgot about the match that I want to bring up because you know, praise good storytelling if you think it's happening. Brandon Cutler with the cold spray in the eyes um, was on the rampage when we talked about they keep bollocking. Brandon Cutler for not knowing how to turn the camera off. Yes. That's going to matter when Kenny Omega finally watches the main event of Full Gear. Like, seeing footage, seeing what the Young Bucks are doing, and him spraying Matt Jackson in the eyes all feels part of that. They are telling quite a big story here that I think is eventually going to be... Like, Brandon Cutler, that idiot in the tracksuit, is going to have way more to do with the next unravelling of the elite yeah. than he should have any right to, and I really like that. I don't know if you, this is this could work or not, but you get the Young Bucks getting him to give uh, Kenny Omega an edited version of the pay-per-view and him yeah. just leaving in that yeah. spot, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, appointments interview backstage next. Ruby Soho got asked a question. Uh, there was, I didn't. I, I hated this. I think this was probably my least favourite thing on the show, and it, it also still had a moment that made me laugh out loud. So... Stupid, pointless. Oh, Ruby, we're here to talk about. Oh, so Ruby instantly been interrupted by Bunny and Penelope Ford, who said that you know Nyla Rose is going to batter her in the next round of the uh, TBS title tournament, and said that you know when she wins that they can get title shots. Um, so, uh, and they announced, I think, at that point uh, that if she's got any friends, uh, they're going to have a, uh, a six-woman match going forward on Rampage. Uh, Soho says, oh, why should we wait? Takes the jacket off, starts brawling. Uh, and then in comes Nyla Rose. This was the bit I liked. Where she just went, surprise, bitch! <laughs> and just came in. Uh, Anna Jay and Take On, he come in with chairs, but it's all a bit awkward, and she, they just sort of have to go, oh, I could hit you with a chair. If you don't bugger off. And they, they go away at that point. I screamed, piss off at my telly. Yeah. And I pissed myself laughing in the space of 10 seconds. Like, legitimately, I watch telly and wrestling. I don't usually stand and pace or, like, physically react. Even when I'm enjoying things, I just go, eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, special occasions. Well, the, 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 the nose latch, you ever have that? Like, yeah. yeah. Special occasions, I will feel it, I just won't react physically. Mm. Special occasions, like, I'll go nuts. I, even when something happens that I hate, I just go, I just get bored or I look at my phone. When I saw the continuation of the bunny and Penelope Ford <laughs> versus TJ. I was like, no, mm. no, no. And when, before that, they went Ruby Solo, like Ruby Solo. Oh, I went, yeah. piss off. I didn't use the word piss, I used another word. And then Nyla Rose saves the day. 
love her. WWE segment by a booking bot, this whole thing was, wasn't it? Like, really, that bit at the end, so cringeworthy. I think it's um, Penelope Ford that you can still see in the shot. And uh, take on is right there with a the steel chair. Like I'm pretty sure the chair is touching her shoulder because she's that close like, to it. Oh, you better. Yeah, oh, I was like embarrassing, man. Absolutely embarrassing. I um, the TJ Bunny and Penelope Ford thing again to go back to my earlier point about like Dante Martin's been in out of team towns within two weeks. Like yeah. master plan completed that. Move on to the next thing. <laughs> this is gonna go on. We're gonna keep fighting forever, <laughs> forever. Just like piss poor, piss yeah. poor. For a match that, like, it, it really gives a toss uh, nah, as nah, well. Nah. Like, don't, don't patronise us with a match that you know full well that nobody really wants. So you have to, you believe it's an obligation to insert this to try and generate heat that's not going to be there. Yeah, they just, we'll do that to keep it busy. Like, and you've got, you've got the story set up. She wins that TBS match against Statlander. Yeah, and then Nyla Rose comes in and batters her. And I know, obviously, she can't be selling that weeks and weeks later, but... Yeah, just felt a bit of nothing, but yeah. <laughs> Surprise, like both, bitch. Both had, good job we had chairs. Just patrolling the backstage area, TJ with chairs on the off just chance. The, and they think we've been over it, so we're going to move on. But the, okay, uh, the red light's gone on the camera. Uh, Tony's asking her a question. Now we'll come in and interrupt. <laughs> Piss off. Um, right, uh, speaking of uh, interruptions of interviews, Sammy Gavora's on the top of the ramp. He's about to be uh, interviewed. This is um, a good one, though. Yeah, this yeah. was a good one because he's interrupted by. King Babyface Cody Rhodes. He comes out uh, and uh, he's got a mic and he shakes Tony's hand. Uh, he's still suffering the after effects of being set on fire. I love how they frame this because it looks so gross and you couldn't stop staring at it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, um, From one good guy to the next, Cody Rhodes says he's going to reveal that uh, on Christmas he is going to be, he is the next contender for Sammy Guevara's TNT Championship. Shakes his hand and he says, hey, good luck, kid. Don't patronise me. And then goes to leave and goes, oh, oh nearly nearly walked down the wrong tunnel there. Down the baby place <laughs> when I go. Uh, and in amongst all this, the men of the year are up in the stands. They interrupt uh, Ethan Page, who's got, what's his attribute? I can't, can't quite. The tightest tits in the game. Thank you, Michael Sidgwick. Uh, uh, he complains about having to jump through all these hoops uh, and yet other people can just, you know, wander in and get a title shot. Maybe if they were an EVP, uh, maybe if they kissed Tony Khan's ass, they'd get a title shot as well. Uh, but you know who got him one? Dan Lambert, who's coming back. Um, and uh, Scorpio Sky gets on the mic and says, what are you talking about, Sammy? What would you even say in this interview if you were given the chance to actually talk? Would you say you were a fighting champion, someone who would face anyone? Well, except for anyone in the top five, right? Uh, why don't you just step up to the plate, stop calling yourself a champion, and prove that you are one. And Sammy Guevara lays the TNT Championship down as a sort of challenge and says, bring it on. Hamlet. Cody was incredible. Um, I will never sanction this idea that conversation is justifies all of this. I still think it's a rubbish story. But this rubbish story that is unfocused and possibly counterproductive in the bigger picture is still capable of delivering great moments because there is a great performer in Cody Rose, a fantastic one when he's on and when an idea works and sometimes he thinks too big. And just like we talked about, like, I will not turn as a great promo, like, that is part of this murky thing. This was maybe the best bit of it yet. The guy that never comes out of the heel or babyface tunnel, like, comes out of the babyface one and almost teases going in the heel one. 
the great job kid. The idea that by having the first ever match on Dynamite, you create like an instant legacy forever between these two because they'll always be so rooted in AEW's history and they're going to find themselves at different points in their career. And it's always really nice when you see them together as a result. I love the match because it's one of the ones that you can feel comfortable about Cody losing, but they're going to play so well with the anxiety of him winning. So the drama is going to be off the chain in the match itself. I love that this gave the men of the year a bit of agency because they weren't wrong in what they were saying. Um, and you don't particularly buy them as challengers to Sammy Guevara. And re- realistically, I don't, if those matches happen, you're never going to feel like, oh, Sammy's in jeopardy on this night. But I like that they have at least sold themselves as, um, well, Scorpio Sky, I guess, because Paige had his shot, didn't he? Like, Scorpio Sky's now put himself into a rational reason to have a shot when he gets his turn. I like the prospect of Dan Lambert coming back. Um and Cody did steal it. I, I thought this was good stuff. I don't love... Sammy Guevara's feeling a bit of a spare part in his own title programmes, in truth. Wait until Cody works him. But that match is going to absolutely rule. Wait until Cody works him, because my prevailing succinct take here is this is why Cody Rhodes wins matches, right? Because you said the exact same word I was thinking of, anxiety. Cody Rhodes winning whatever that feud was, essentially, in the end, is going to inform Sammy Guevara beating him which is going to get Sammy Guevara's TNT title reign. One would hope this is the idea up to that kind of iconic level that everyone that has preceded him has managed. This is going to be an incredible match, full of drama, full of anxiety. That's going to ultimately get Sammy Guevara over to that level of the iconic TNT champion. And the best thing about it is they've already worked out the ingenious premise. Cody Rhodes, arrogant bastard. Patronizing. Very aloof, patronizing thinks he's still working the kid that he did in Washington, D.C. on October 2, 2019. And the story of the match is, nope, I'm better than that version of myself, and indeed, I'm actually better than you. All of that is incredible. This is why Cody wins. People need to remember the most important matches. Like, Malachi Black and Andrade, right, realistically, are great workers who probably don't have really top star potential. You beat them to beat a guy like Sammy, who they really think has. I'd have Cody, uh, not to jump ahead of ourselves, but I'd have Cody talking already as if he's winning the title, i.e., what a great story this is going to be for Rhodes to the Top Season 2, me regaining my TNT Championship. What a great Christmas present and stuff like that. I th- like, remember when uh, Derby finally beat him and Cody got on one knee to give him the belt? I think when Sammy beats him, Cody should do that. He should take the belt first and think, this is for you now, my son. And Sammy's like, huh? And just like <laughs> snatch, snatches out of his hand and robs it of the ceremony that Cody's trying to achieve with this. Cody doing the thing. You remember, have you ever seen the things where they donate the losing Super Bowl side commemorative T-shirts because they yeah. have, haven't printed and send them to Africa or whatever. He should have like a box of T-shirts <laughs> yes, of like that's so Cody great. Rhodes. T- New AEW t- champion. T- yeah. T- champion, yeah. That's great. Uh, right, we get a hype video, a great hype video for Jade Cargill versus Thunder Rosa and their upcoming match in the TBS title tournament. And then we get Jamie Hayter versus Riho. Um, I say this often, but it bears repeating in this. A story here was one person 
technically wrestling and the other person just being a massive powerhouse. And that person is, of course, Jamie Hayer. Early on, she hits her uh, with a scoop slam. She's going after Riho's midsection. Uh, the official getting distracted. Rebel Reba's involved in that all as well. Baker cheap shots Rebel, because let's not forget the intention of this match, as much as there are pinfalls mixed in, is you don't necessarily have to beat Riho, just soften her up, basically, for Brit. Uh, Riho fights back, though. Tiger faint kick. She uh, hits a diving crossbody for a two count uh, and then comes off the top again when Hayter's on the outside, who is meant to, uh, I'll allow it, catches her. Drives her into the ring post. Uh, I think we go to a break at that point. When we come back, Riho starts her comeback. Uh, hits a standing double stomp. Uh, rolls up Hater for a two count. But Hater powers out of a dragon suplex. Then Riho turns that around. Hits her own dragon suplex uh, for a two count. Uh, and then Hater turns a northern light suplex into a brain buster for a near fall. And then she just snaps Riho's spine with this backbreaker for a two count as well. Uh, Riho, though, she hits a rising knee. Uh, she gets a near fall off the back of that, goes up the t- uh, goes up top and hits a top rope double stomp for a, for a two count. She goes up top again. Hater meets her there. Riho, they're, they're fighting on the top rope. Uh, Rebels interfering. The officials are distracted. Hater's going for this top rope. Huge Samoan drop, but Riho turns it into an avalanche crucifix bomb, which looked Terrifying, but epic at the same time. She hits her finisher. One, two, three. Riho wins, but she's immediately beaten down by Baker post-match. Everything I wanted this to be, with the exception of a slightly muted crowd that really got into it by the end. They deserved so much more. I agree. Like, I'm not in the, in- I'm not in the business of blaming crowds. I kind of was here, dicks. <laughs> Get up for this. It's absolutely amazing. As you said, like, simple, logical story. Fantastic execution. And it wasn't just because... Jamie Hayter is the more powerful person, and Riho bumps well and can can bend herself over backwards to really make it feel like her back's like. And the moves and choices and the execution of the moves, like the choke slam onto the knee, absolutely unbelievable because she'd already bridged out of the pin, so she thought, oh, you're not doing that anymore because I'm going to choke slam your tiny brittle spine <laughs> onto my knee. Absolutely incredible stuff. It gave me an image. I don't know what computer game it's from. Computer game, how old do I sound? But the, there's the what, a game where when you do certain moves, it like goes in. It also think it might be in like Romeo Must Die, the film, and it goes in. You can see the spine snap. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I thought. I was like, Jesus Christ! I had a cardiac event when I saw the Brain Buster. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ! You just you broke a freaking neck. That was awesome. I rewound it back. The timing of that move was unbelievable because the magic is obviously took it the last possible second and you need to be really skilled to be able to do it. Here's a take for you, and then maybe it's just the luxury of having Riho as an opponent, but this is, again, another indictment of AEW's booking if she doesn't become this kind of performer in three years. Jamie Hayter is the female pack. Ooh, that's a shout. Her physical stuff and the way she executed to make it look murderous is just incredible. Usually, because I watch it on fight and because I've got so much faith in this company that you might miss something, I watched through the picture-in-picture. Recently, I'm really getting the... Right, I can actually see everything that's going to happen. Skip, skip, skip. The adverts. On the fight feed, even though you don't really see the adverts, you just see the thing that's happening in the adverts. Jamie Hayter during the picture-in-picture was great. Her heel mannerisms and her obnoxious... like She emulates how Riho's feeling in the moment, does the impression. She's she's fantastic, Jamie Hayter. I want the world for her. Yeah, don't have too much to add because of that like wild enthusiasm. I... It was probably about 2002, the last time I was so excited for a Code Red. 
You talk about talk about bastardized moves and like that's basically an extension of the Canadian destroyer and in like its arrangement and stuff. And yet this match was going so hot that I was bang into that. I was up off it. Um we all, I think, had a feeling that the chemistry was just gonna be perfect. And outside of that one like dropped catch, it was like Riho is such an advantage to this division because anyone's a giant in her presence. But Hayton knows how to play to that skill set generally as well. So a really great dynamic, totally ideal for the feud, for the stories they're trying to tell. I still cannot decide because of how um, malleable Hater's offense is. I cannot decide which way her and Britt yeah. Baker goes as the heel babyface. Britt Baker's the most over babyface in any building the second they turn her. But do I instead want to watch Jamie Hater turn on Britt Baker to like take revenge for the fact that Britt Baker doesn't want her like Britt Baker needs her more than she wants her. I, I just cannot decide which way I want that. She's justified either way, Jamie Hayter. Yeah, yeah both combinations real, are good. Yeah. I just don't know which one's going to play out better because that match as well should be tremendous. Not to tread on our podcast tomorrow, the AEW Rampage preview, of course. But at this point, we uh, run through the lineup for the show that the tag tag title match, the uh, six woman Adam Cole versus Wheeler Yuta, and now. The debut in ring of Hook. I, I'm not going to give you any spoilers because I don't know the result. It's pretty obvious, but I don't know what it is. I've not actually read it to confirm no. it. I have, have, however, across several Twitter feeds, had indications of his performance level. Hook apparently rules. Like, <laughs> Hook apparently is awesome well, in we, this match. So we're talking, I had to say what we watched in the office earlier. We watched a fan cam of his entrance. And that was enough for Two me. Of Two of them. Two separate ones. Two separate ones. <laughs> just to look at him. We just won't to look tell you a thing about them. No. Just get ready for Hook. He's as good as the meme suggested he would be, apparently. I cannot wait. I, I don't even feel like, because like, I'm old and I'm cold, I, I don't even know quite how the Hook meme happened. I don't fully get it, and I completely love it. I think he's just like a really hot young guy who captivates people because, let's face it, the, the majority of people I follow on whatever on wrestling Twitter, and I am indeed a 36-year-old guy, I think Hook is generally an enigmatic guy who doesn't use social media. That's always a massive boon. I think there's something captivating about a 20-year-old kid who's that handsome, that fashionable, that cool feeling, being in our lame little world. Mm. And effortlessly cool. Isn't yes. It? Yeah, when you're doing nothing. Is infinitely preferable to doing anything, yes. isn't it? Yeah, and you'll like this. He likes crisps, obviously. Of course, he does. Yeah, oh, well, I, because he's all that and, and a bag of chips. And as if that wasn't enough for Michael Hamlet, Serena D. Bukari Shida on Winter is coming next week. Thank God, like thank God that I was starting to get nervous that they were just going to drop that. Oh, they were going to drop. Or it was going to be like the middle of a rampage or something like that. Place not on that show, like at least where the booking has disappeared in place of just matches, matches is at least put it in a position of prestige. That Dynamite next week is incredible already. Like I was worried that Winter is Coming, as I guess it was last year a little bit, but Winter is Coming was going to be thought of more as a one-match show. Mm. And then over the course of the Dynamite Diamond Ring in this Serena Deep Sheeda match, what a, what a Dynamite. Right, we've got to talk about what happened just before the main event because uh, the Varsity Blondes and Julia Hart are out there to be interviewed for, again reasons um but before they can give an answer to whatever question they're asked uh, the lights go out and when they come back on malachi black's there and he takes off that mask of his and miss julia hart michael hamlet i thought this was rubbish i thought this was cheesy lame and rubbish um i don't know so right here's the thing 
all Malachi Black subjectivity aside, because I think that the poisonous juice is really lame, right? But I don't want him to fight Griff Garrison particularly. I'm not bothered. I, he'll be Garrison looked great in that match. I should put that over as well. I thought. Yeah, but like it's you know, yeah, it's a formality. Yeah, I definitely don't want to see. <laughs> I definitely don't want to see Malachi Black and Brian Pillman Jr. either. Even though, bless Brian Pillman Jr. You get this indication from a couple of different like shoot interviews and various other and and just your eyes, um, that maybe he gets on people's tits a bit in AEW, and him not knowing whether or not to sell the offshoot of the poison yeah. juice was really funny. It's like, hang on, like, I'm pretty close to the poison. Do I, I thought initially, not? oh, he's, he's, misted, he's misted Brian Pillman, and then I was like, oh, no, they're doing the Julie Hart thing. Yeah, but so then the lights come back on, and he's just like, like obviously Griff's gone, it's not you, Brian. So like all of a sudden, he's absolutely fine, get some help for her, like that. Um, dare I even suggest, because... As much as we'd like to think it isn't the case, wrestling mostly hates women. Um, when Julia Hart now can't see, will she in fact be able to see more clearly than ever before? And are we getting AEW's equivalent of Alexa Bliss being gaslit into joining The Fiend? Like, is she going to be part of his offering, or are they just going to do, like, I'm as blind as Pac Deck with Julia Hart? Like, <laughs> is that is, is he just blinding people for blind stuff? Worse but better. Right. I think that he's going to cut some kind of promo in the aftermath of this because what is Julia Hart in terms of her age, her character? She's innocent. Mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. her deal. There is no such thing as innocence. Not in this that, world. Not Julia. in this world. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get you some black pom-poms so you chili outside. So, yeah, I think that's where they're going with this. Um, I want, don't want virtue to exist anywhere. I want, I want everything corrupt. Except, <laughs> you know, imagine we had faster as his theme. That'd be good. Yeah. I do like his theme. I used to like him. This is a well-performed weird angle, in my opinion. Pack. The blondes have got long hair. Pack does a run-in, but attacks the wrong man. Malachi Black slides to the floor, and he absolutely batters Brian Pillman Jr. Uh, I got him. I got him. No. <laughs> like, he does, like, he does a, a blind, eyes closed, Black Arrow. <laughs> like, he's got the brutalizer on. <laughs> All of a sudden, like, Come he on. just hears Brian Pillman's going, ah! It's like, Brian? Uh, also, uh, got a brief summary from of this segment, really condensed down uh, from, actually, NXT star Van Wagner. I asked him, you know, what happened with uh, Malachi <laughs> Black's mist, and he said, you got hard. So, thanks to Von Wagner for that one. Uh, anyway. <laughs> to uh, Mark for that one. Uh, John, John Silver versus Brian Danielson is the main event, of course. And uh, I really enjoyed this. I would love to know your thoughts on it, Sige. Um, it's, yeah, as we expected, John Silver early on surprising Brian Danielson with his power. And that just makes him furious. He really indulged in that. I've got, right in the referee's face, I've got till five at one point. Um Diving knee drop to the back of John Silver's head quite early on as he's draped over the apron. Uh, when we come back from the break, uh, Danielson, as he did quite a lot in this match, really stiff strikes to John Silver. This time he's in the corner. Silver makes a comeback, though, uh, reverses a missile drop kick into a powerbomb. Went a bit awry, all this. Um, but he fires back up, 
Starts nailing Danielson with kicks. Gets him in a heel hook. That made me very happy That's, indeed. Danielson's selling was absolutely immaculate. Um, and he's he's kicking. Uh, he's kicking Silver and Silver's just screaming in his face. Silver won't let go. So Danielson desperately has to fight out to get a break. Uh, Silver hits the cannonball sent on out on the floor. Uh, but uh, as he gets German, Daniel uh, Danielson lands on his feet and uh, hits Silver with a brutal buzzsaw kick. Uh, he goes for Busaiku. Busaiku. Yes. The, the, the knee. He the, goes knee for. the knee. Uh, but Silver counters it and uh, gets a German suplex bridge for a great near fall as well. Uh, he goes for that spin doctor throw, but Danielson rakes the eyes, traps Silver's head against his knee, and then just starts ground and pound and pound and ground, just beat him in it, beating him into the mat. Uh, again, copy-paste what I've said for the last three Brian Danielson matches. He's got the match won. He doesn't need to do anything else, but instead he hits a gotch-style pile driver, uh, puts on the submission. I think already, again, uh, John Silver was was out. He gets the victory post-match. He gets on the mic and says, look, I've wrecked all these, these Dark Order members. I've kicked all of their heads in, whether it be Evil Uno or Colt Cabana or Alan Angels or John. Actually, no, I promised you I'd kick his head in, and I haven't done that. So he goes back to beating the lifeless corpse of John Silver until Hangman Page runs out and attacks him, sends him packing, and Page grabs a mic and says, next week, I'm going to stomp the cowboy sh out of you. This match was somewhere between what I wanted and what it needed to be. So it was almost kind of perfect for mm, what it was yeah. in that respect. I, I would love to watch these guys go for 16, 17, 18 minutes and have the best match they could possibly have, but it's not the story for that. The story is... Brian Danielson is better than the person with who, the people with whom Hangman Page associates. And as he said in the build to this match, you are the seven people you hang out with. So it's all very well done. You got just enough of a battling effort from John Silver, just enough great action. Like a bicycle kick to the back of the head when he was hung in the ropes. It was like, yes, this is the gnarly, vicious stuff I want out of these two. Um, I thought they got the measure of this absolutely perfect. I really liked the, um, the drop kick. From the uh, the power bomb drop. Yeah, I, I don't know whether I just I thought maybe I was expecting something else. It's just uh, Danielson's always so great at thinking. Well, I'm going to hit the move. I only know I'm not going to hit the move when my opponent counters it. It's so you, you, you full bore into it's it. Your like. adoration with with the whole clothesline thing. Yes. I mean, if they, unless they do move, you're hitting them with the clothesline yes. regardless. Yeah, it's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I it's good. It, like spoil wrestling fan take is that like you know what Brian Danielson does and like there are very few wrestlers where i blame my own expectations but danielson is one of them where i'll always give him the pass because he'll sometimes as he did for like a lot of his wwe run he will understand what the job of the story is and sometimes it's like oh i could whether it because you want five more minutes of it or whether it's it too good yeah a little bit well like <laughs> whether or not you had this idea in your head of a thing that would happen really enjoyed it nonetheless i think i just i think the angle's a bit mid like honestly we like the moxley thing just to go back to it, because I think I, I alluded to this in the previous yesterday anyway, the whole fun of most AEW stories is that you're never just focusing on that individual story. And you just, just feel like, after, like this match next week is... I've started to work myself into a shoot that maybe this is going to go to a 30-minute draw and there's going to be a comparison to the Brian Omega match and they're going to have to run it back as a rematch. But it'll probably not. Page will probably win. And there'll be a handshake and... probably. Sorry about barring your mates. And then, like, because he still comes out the babyface tunnel, which you've always sort of referenced. That's not changed. There's every chance that he can go back to being the babyface 
pretty soon afterwards. I would dare say within six months, it'll there'll be a thing where he'll actually like help the Dark Order out and be like, well, we're all right now, we're good, and he's great at that. But like because of that, like Paige coming off and running, like coming in right at the very end, which is pretty much kind of all he's done most weeks. It's not felt like the most interesting guy in the show, and he's the world champion. It's it's just a bit mid. Like it's like the match will be great as well, but mm. then that was the sort of thing that like. WWE and previously NXT a lot would kind of get away with mm-hmm. and I just think like they've they've done what they've needed to because of the situation and lots of it will be great next week but I, I'd be lying if I said like I was mega hot for the conclusion of the show I'll be insanely hot when that opening bell rings but I feel like they've done one or two weeks too much of this but yeah. I thought this was the best week of it at the same mm. time the ideal go home ahead of winter is coming next week uh, well, let us know your thoughts on AEW Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch, they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Or Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Still just about time, if you want to order it for Christmas, to get your hands on... Maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I'm not making any promises. Um, Don't make any promises yeah. on my behalf. Uh, <laughs> but you can still order it for whenever it arrives, because it's... It's a great book regardless, whether you get it for Christmas or not. Don't matter. Uh, what culture not big cartel? <laughs> the world's not going to end in January, is it? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> on it, mate. <laughs> whatculture.bigcartel.com if you want to uh, order the brilliant uh, Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AW, Michael Sidgwick's fantastic new book. A uh, whole host of other stuff on there as well if you want to get your hands on that. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE, as I said. Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Uh, we will, of course, be back tomorrow to look ahead to AW Rampage and Hooks debut in ring so excited to talk about that but for now this has been the aw dynamite review my thanks to the dadly boys thank you for joining us and we will see you soon planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.